Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Good morning, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. Welcome to Everything Cooperative this beautiful Thursday morning. And you know, I am excited that we're going to talk to Miss Sylvia Salvazar this morning. Good morning, Sylvia. Good morning, Vernon. How are you today? Good, good. Enjoying the nicer weather. Yes, it is great weather. I rode my motorcycle up this morning. Nice. Listen, how did you get involved in co-ops? I think it was out of necessity. In, um, living here in D.C. when I first moved here, um, we, I lived in a rent-controlled building, and it was a slum building, and we wanted it to get just get it fixed up, and we organized, we wrote letters, we did everything one is supposed to do to get the building fixed, and that didn't work. And over a period of seven years of trying to get housing code violations fixed, we realized that the only option was to buy our building and own it as a co-op so everybody would have that um, opportunity for home ownership and um, shared wealth as well. And that's kind of how it started for me, and uh, I've been hooked ever since. Okay, I'm hooked. Sylvia, what year was this that you started? Oh, I think it was about 2005 that we started organizing. And But out of that organizing work, um, we're now working on um, organizing worker-owned cooperatives here in D.C., so, you know, housing is important, and once you have that secure, um, what happened to us is we started to look around and, and realize, like, okay, what's the next step is having secure employment and a dignified um, work. And so it was like a natural progression for folks to start looking at having just a stable job where Wait, they actually would have ownership of You're it. saying so much. I want to break it down a little bit because <laughs> dignified work. Okay, so you said you're saying what? what I have been preaching now for on this program for four years and longer. I, I got involved with co-ops because I started managing co-ops. So I started managing housing co-ops and I learned about co-ops by that method. And now I live in a housing co-op and yeah, I got really turned on as it sounds like you did for, for co-ops. And I found that most people don't know about it. So that's why I'm so excited about talking to you this morning. But let's let's go back to, mm-hmm. let's break down this. Okay, I'm in a multifamily unit. It's a rent control unit. It's, I don't know, roach infested, housing codes, whatever it is, it's not providing safe, affordable, decent housing, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So how did you learn about co-ops to say, hey, let's let's own this thing. Let's Let's do this. Um, because I think it was a, basically a process of elimination. I mean, we'd work um, with um, the management company who managed the, the property when we were still tenants, and we realized, like, you really have to be involved and invested in what's happening if you really want things to change. And, you know, our building had mold. It had a non-working elevator, a lot of problems. And the harder we tried to get things fixed, we filed, I think it was three lawsuits at one point, um, and we, we were so proactive about getting things fixed. And 
didn't work, whatever we tried. And I think as we talked to other folks in, in the community, um, such as um, LEDC, the Latino Economic Development Center, or TNAC, um, just hearing from them kind of what was happening in the community, and in particular um, um, housing organizers uh, with LEDC, they, they talked about housing cooperatives and how you could, cr you could create ownership and people's credit would not be a requirement because it's the co-op that owns the building and not necessarily every individual person. Uh, so it just seemed like a great fit for us in terms of where we evolved and, and in terms of our organizing and what we needed. So I really want people to hear this, that one of the reasons that housing co-op is a great option is that the individual resident who was a tenant, you were a tenant at first, mm -hmm. your credit score is not what people are looking at in order to give the get the money. Right. The individual credit is not there. So the association, the housing co-op is the one that uh, borrows the money, and it's mm -hmm. called a blanket loan, and it's over the mm -hmm. whole multifamily. How, how many units is it? How many families? Um, ours is 83. 83, 83 families. So that those 83 families, they may have uh, credit scores of 400, 500, 600, maybe 7 or 800, but highly unlikely. A credit score that high normally means there's either no credit or um, they have a lot of income coming in. So you got 83 families, and the individual does not have to qualify for for credit. It is the organization that has to qualify for the credit. Mm -hmm. Great. Okay. So you all got um, <laughs> excited yeah, and wanted to own your own. Yes. Okay. Talk about the process. Now, what is, what is LEDC? Oh, that is a, a nonprofit here in D.C. Uh, it's called the Latino Economic Development Center. And um, they pursue economic opportunities for all communities in D.C. and Maryland. So that means they help people start businesses. So they do that end of it, like the business side of things for, you know, um, minority-owned small businesses and things like that. But then they also do the other side of, uh, of organizing work around buildings that are up for sale because of the Tenant Opportunity to Purchase Act law. They organize for that as well. And they also do um, education for folks that like, kind of need to learn about their credit and kind of being a bit more stable. Uh, financially, and I full disclosure, I also happen to be the board chair for LADC. So Fantastic! How'd you get that? <laughs> okay, yeah. wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So you were a tenant in this rundown place, eighty-three units, and mm -hmm. you and your neighbors got involved, yeah. right? And you first sued the owner to try to get them to fix housing code violations. Mold is hazardous to people's health. I mean, people can die from ingesting mold into their lungs. So you all got started. And the reason I'm saying this is because this is where co-ops get formed is when people come together, three, four, five people come together and say, look, we've got to do something. We've got a community problem. And you end up saying, let's form a co-op and own this thing. So we control it, we can manage it, and we can then fix things. Does that kind of sum up what you all were doing at first? Yeah, exactly. We were just trying to have a decent place to live. And, you know, we had the D.C. housing inspectors come out, and they cited our building with over 200 housing code violations. That's how bad our building was. Wow. And this happens 
in D.C., in any city, in any rural country, uh, in rural community, and internationally. I, we've been on, on now four years. October was our fourth year. And that first year, we had a gentleman named Papa Sin who was from Senegal. And they created a, a co-op because of the need for housing. They didn't have rundown housing or uh, housing that, that had code violation. They had no housing. So they built homes. And I think their story sounds very much like yours. Now, Latino Economic Development Center, is that only for people to speak Spanish or from Latin countries? No, not at all. It's, um, the staff there works with people of all ancestries, all languages, English, Spanish, Spanish Amharic. Um, they work with African Americans. So it's just very wide open in terms of who they serve. So it's, it's definitely something that folks should feel free to reach out to, whether it's to, you know, learn about their credit and improving their credit, if they want to start their own business, if they want to start saving money to buy their own home, or if they have housing issues uh, in their building and they want to do something about it and start to organize. So it's, it's an amazing organization, and I'm really grateful um, to serve. Latino Economic Development Center. What's their webpage? L-E-D-C Metro. L-E-D-C-Metro.org, webpage. And a telephone number? They have a few telephone numbers, actually, um, for D.C. and for Maryland, because we've actually expanded a bit. So I'll have to share that with you later. Maybe you could put it up on your website. Would love to do that. Yes. Now, there are other organizations around. There's MECASA, MANA. Housing Counseling Services. Uh, do you work with those? Does LEDC work with those organizations, or are you sort of stand alone? Um, no, we actually, um, LEDC works, for example, um, with Mikasa to organize, I think it's quarterly, what they're called, uh, co-op clinics. Mm-hmm. And basically, it's an ongoing training program for people who live in co-ops who, who want to learn about how co-ops function and who, for example, want to know how to work better with their management company. If they need to make changes to the structure of their co-op, how do they go about doing it? What are some resources available for co-ops? For example, if, you need, if you're an older co-op and you need to rehab your building or if you need a new roof or something, what resources are there? So these organizations will come together to uh, offer and support and, um, services and support to uh, existing co-ops. Now, you said you were working with your management company when it was a dump, and they helped you. Are they still your management company? Did they serve you well then? They did not. Um, they oh, basically had to, because we were facing um, condo developers who wanted to buy our building. They offered us a, a payout so that we could um, move out and, you know, move somewhere else, and they were going to convert this building to, to condos. So we really <laughs> weren't in favor of that. And the management company was basically, they were working with the landlord. I mean, they were hired by the landlord. Mm-hmm. So. For us, as soon as we bought the building, we knew immediately we were going to interview some management companies and we were going to hire one, uh, and that that management company would be accountable only to us and no one else. And that was so hugely empowering to actually go from, you know, facing intimidation and, and um, discrimination from the existing management company to, like, turning around and saying, no, we're going to hire our own and we're going to work closely with them. It was a total change of night and day for us. Well, the reason I went back there is I, I thought I heard you say they were very helpful to you 
So I'm glad I no, went back. Weren't. I was going to ask you to do a shout out for them, but if they weren't, let's leave it alone. Okay, let's leave. Not it at all. Okay. And you know, they were working with the condo developer and, and the owner. But you know, it's it's interesting that we're talking about this period because you know, for for us, we've moved on from that, and now we're looking at the needs. Looking at what? The community. Yeah. We're looking at employment needs and economic stability. Yeah, I, I, I want to go there in the next segment or two. We only have another minute on this segment, but I really wanted to get the foundation of why co-op. Um, community need says co-ops and empowers, and you've said a lot of the, the right words. You got empowered. You, we also talked about financial. You said that, uh, uh, you know, you could get financial wealth by doing this. Um, so that's I wanted to break down some of the benefits of co-op first that you've experienced, and then from there we can go to the other things that that you're doing. Um, I just excited. Listen, <laughs> we've got to take our first break. If you have a call for, uh, if you want a question or comment to Sylvia, uh, please call in at one eight hundred four five zero seven eight seven six. 1-800-450-7876. We'll be right back. Please don't touch the dial. Washington, D.C.'s News Talk, 1450 AM, W.O.S. and 95.9 FM. Information is power. This is Vernon Oaks. The program is Everything Cooperative. And WOL is a great partner for this show because the National Cooperative Bank helped to sponsor this show to give you information that if you use this information, you have power. And this is what Sylvia Salazar has found out as she was working with her other tenants. And they bought the building and they got power. That's the, pretty much the last thing she said. It was very empowering to get their own management company that works for them and not for the landlord or the condo developers or whomever else it might be. Sylvia, how long have you had the, the housing co-op? We were incorporated in July 2011. So 2011 to 17, you're six years, a couple months. Mm-hmm. Okay. Can we talk a little bit more about the housing co-ops, and then I want to go into the worker co-ops, probably the next segment, and then child care co-ops, sure. the fourth segment. Okay. Sure. So in those six years, what have you found? A little background. In managing co-ops, I have found out that you need good governance and good management in order to be successful. And it starts with the governance because they have the responsibility, the fiscal responsibility. They're the ones that are in control and will be held accountable if the unit doesn't work well. When they hire somebody to help them, that's a management company and a lawyer and accountant. They hire all of these other professionals. And then secondly, they need good management that will do what they say do and implement the policies. And the good for me, Sylvia, is that there's integrity and knowledge. And I heard you talk about the co-op clinics to help you get the knowledge but the integrity is following the bylaws and the rules, the policies, and for everybody the same, not mm-hmm. having some people get more of this and others get less right. of that. So have you found that to be true? And tell me a little bit about how the governance work and the, with the management. So the governance for us is based on our bylaws that, that we established at the time that when we incorporated. And um, we do our best to follow the 
the bylaws to the best of our ability. But, you know, when you're working, and I think this is inherent to all co-ops, is you're working with people. Mm-hmm. And there's different personalities, different family needs, different perspectives. I mean, there's people here in our building who have lived here their whole entire lives. And this one board member, she's, she's 31, and she's now raising her family here. So there's multi-generational mm-hmm. housing. But then there's folks who or young working professionals who are just moving into the city. So there's differences of opinion and perspective in that and that kind of dynamic. But I think it's that kind of, like, different perspectives and kind of working them out, I think that's part of working and, and living in a community, right? Because any other building, you, you live in a silo, you do your own thing, you don't know your neighbors. Here we know each other, we and we do our best to support each other's needs. But I think part of that dynamic is that there is going to be some friction and um, some issues there, and that's just part of, of the process, I think. But I prefer this, and having our own sovereignty over what happens to our property instead of someone else coming and telling us um, when the, you know, for us, it's like, when is the rent going to go up, or the, sorry, the carrying charge? Um, we decide when the monthly payments go up. No one decides that for us. So having that sovereignty and that ability to decide those things, it's kind of like a trade-off to kind of dealing with the people side of it. Well, I went through a little, little something in here that a lawyer, a co-op lawyer told me. He's out of Chicago. He's spent 60 years in, in co-ops uh, developing and helping. He said that it really is rent it, because we, we've told it's not rent. It's co-op fees, maintenance fees. It's all kinds of other terms. But he said you really, in your um, occupancy agreement, it is like a lease. And your lease, your lease or like your old landlord, is the cooperative. Mm-hmm. And you basically have a lease with the cooperative and you have to pay rent or co-op fee or maintenance fee, whatever you want to call it. But I used to really, because some people say it's not rent, you own it. Uh, but right. And that makes sense the way he said, what he told you, because I did basically the same thing. I said, quote, rent, unquote. He said it really is rent. So the key, though, is you, you and the other 83 members, the the 83 members elect a board. How many people on your board? Five, seven, nine? Seven. We have seven floors. And so when we were establishing the co-op, we realized it'd be good to have representation of seven people given the distribution of the building. Fantastic. So you got seven people that the 83 were elect, and then they make decisions. In some cases, the bylaws will say for rent increases, you have to go back to the membership and get them to approve it before you can affect it. And some others say the board can make that decision but they make it and there's one critical piece of this you're not concerned about profit no (laughs) not it it doesn't even enter our frame of thought at all that's right and that's one of the reasons i mean there's been research that says that uh looking at hud sponsored co-ops compared to hud sponsored apartment buildings and uh, there's one particular property in Atlanta where the rent was 200 to $300 less than the co-op after 40 years, which was 45 to 50% lower. The rent was $500 at the co-op, and the rent was uh, seven to $800 in an apartment building down the street. And the co-op mm-hmm. building was better than the ones of the apartment buildings because in the co-op, uh, the board would choose to fix things. <laughs> oh. In your self-interest, they have a good working roof and plumbing and electrical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I love this. Listen, um, now we don't need profit, but you do need uh, surplus. You need savings. 
Yeah. Uh, and and so there, what caused those rents to be so much lower was one of the big pieces was that 10, 20 percent profit that the uh, investor would want. And over time, as you have increase and that increase, that causes that gap to go up. Plus, once people know they own it, they normally take better care of it. Yes, yes. No, no, definitely. That, the attitude. I think that's a process. Yeah, definitely. And I, well, I mean, the thing is, we have to change our, and we're still going through through it. I think to some extent, for people who were tenants before, you, you, it's not only the change of the building, but a change of how you see yourself in your home. Yeah. And you're not a tenant anymore. You're you're a member of a co-op, and you know you're have an equal share in, in what happens in the building. So that's a change of mentality too. And I think we, we you know, we talk about the external aspects of the building, but I think. There's something that happens internally to us who, who go through this process. Absolutely. And I have found that that is not automatic, that change of attitude, change of mentality of um, tenant to owner, tenant to owner. And once that happens, though, all of your 83 people may not make that change, and you have to live. Mm-hmm. With. But if you can get 50 of them, that would be wonderful. Uh, yeah. Great. Yeah. And then uh, leading by example, I think that's helpful, too. <laughs> Are you on the board of your of the co-op housing yes, co-op? I am. You're on the mm-hmm. board there. So, with your education, I was talking to my grandson last night and was saying that the way one speaks often tells whether or not they're educated or not, and mm-hmm. their logic flow. And you sound like you're very educated. Oh, uh, <laughs> uh, it it wasn't by design. It just happened that way. Um, I actually grew up in Los Angeles for my undergraduate studies. I went to UCLA, and I majored in English and Spanish literature. And then I did some fellowships. That's kind of how I ended up in D.C. or kind of learned about it. And then I also um, went to school at at Peru College in New York, Uh, got a master's degree in public administration, then did a graduate fellowship at Harvard, uh, at the Kennedy School, and then most recently at George Washington um, University, I did uh, health information technology graduate degree as well. So master's, kind of master's or doctor? Master's. If you put them all together, I would have had a doctor. <laughs> or two. I got it. Yeah. <laughs> I got it. Yeah. yeah. You so said... It's been, it's been a bit. It's been what? It's been a lot of, like, kind of going between universities and stuff. I didn't do it on purpose. It just kind of happened. It wasn't planned out. But I was going to go back to that because you said it earlier. What do you mean by not on purpose? It just happened. Um, well, all of this, like my life changed. Um, it was my senior year at UCLA. I couldn't cut it. Um, I was having a really hard time with classes. I couldn't concentrate. I was tired all the time. I get dizzy. And um, I got kicked out. So you don't make the grade, you get kicked out, right? That's what mm-hmm. happens to you. And so I decided to just take any community job. I felt like a failure. Oh, my God, I couldn't cut it in school. You know, all this effort that my family put in for me to get to this point in my life. And I I finally had a job that had health insurance, and I got a physical for the first time ever in my life. I never really had that before. And, um, you know, I told the doctor, look, I I get dizzy, and this happens to me. And um, they sent me to see a neurologist and an ear, ear, nose, and throat specialist. And they came back with a diagnosis of a brain tumor. Mm. and they needed to do surgery right away. And, you know, they're all like that. My whole like life stopped, and it was just about this one thing. And that experience really impacted me in terms of, you know, and I was thankfully, you know, I did the surgery, had the very long rehab where I had to 
get, you know, the ability to walk again, and I have paralysis that I had to do a lot of therapy for, and eventually I came out of it. But one of the things that, that really informed my experience was the fact that I was able to navigate the healthcare system and get a good result from my surgery because I was educated. Mm-hmm. And I realized that not everybody has that same result. Amen. And, you know, you were talking just now about how you can tell um, how educated someone is by how they speak. I, you know, I took advantage of that. And when I talked to the neurologist, you know, I'm like, well, what about second opinion? You know, well, I did research on my Sylvia, I want to come back and talk about that. Mm-hmm. Um, please. Um, we'll be right back, everybody. Washington, D.C.'s News Talk, 1450 AM, WOS, 95.9 FM. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks, and the program is Everything Cooperative. But right before the program, our guest, Sylvia Salazar, was talking about her experience as a senior at UCLA, uh, becoming, having dizzy spells, and got kicked out for poor grades, and then ended up getting health insurance. That's why health insurance is so important today in today's uh, political conversation. And she took a physical for the first time, and I assume you were around 20, 21 years old, first time having a physical, and Mm -hmm. found out she had a brain tumor and then went to work. Wow. Sylvia, what I have found out in, in my life is that a disease... Uh, brain tumors or diabetes or blood pressure, heart, a disease is what I've come to call it. It's a dis-ease. And a dis-ease is an opportunity to change your life. Mm-hmm. And that's what you did. <laughs> okay. yeah. 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 And that's what I just realized. Like, I had skills, and not everybody has these skills. And I just... And I was in the ICU, and of course I had tubes coming out of me, and I was on the morphine drip. But I knew one of the things, the life goals that I made for myself at that moment was I wanted to go to graduate school, and I wanted to move to D.C. to be an advocate for people in healthcare. And thankfully, I've been able to um, work in, in healthcare. I've been now at the NIH doing social science research for the last 14 years. Wait a minute, so wait, you're, you're at NIH? National Institute of Health? Yes. Mm-hmm. That's, that's my job. That's Doing my research. Job. Research on health care? Cancer. Yeah, we do research. I particularly do research on cancer. And um, just full disclosure, I'm not representing the age. And I said at this point, I'm just telling you where I work. Okay. Okay. To disclose that. Now, I would suggest to you, you said your education was not on purpose. It just happened. Mm-hmm. I want to challenge that statement. Mm-hmm. See, I think it was on purpose. You just didn't know it. <laughs> yeah, <okay. laughs> yeah, there was definitely another plan that I didn't know about. Absolutely. Yeah, because, you know, opportunities popped up, and I was like, yes, I'm going to go for that. Yes, I'm going to do this. And, I mean, I pursued them when I saw them. It wasn't like they were just given to me, right? I had to apply and compete and everything. Yeah, they didn't but just I, happen. That's that's, yeah, no. that's why I wanted you to go back to that yeah. when you first said it in the start of your program. But the whole universe sort of conspired <laughs> to make it happen, even put you in ICU so you could be there and get it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And you made a life go. Okay. Yeah. And so that brought me here to D.C. to live in a rent control building. That was a slum building. And, you know. Now, um, why did you why did you go to that building? I mean, that I assumed that maybe the rent was low or something. And yeah, well, the rent was affordable, and and I was a fellow on Capitol Hill, and I couldn't afford anything more, and it was close enough, and you know, it was in the city. That's what I wanted to live in the city in D.C. So it filled my basic requirements, and I figured I wouldn't live in the building for very long. Um, but that didn't turn out to be true. <laughs> okay. Okay. So it didn't just happen. It happened. Okay. But I want to suggest to you something else about co-ops. You had a physical disease, a personal physical disease, but a community has diseases too, and it shows up as poor housing, unemployment, no child care, no transportation, no health care. I mean, all of these different diseases for a community. And what a lady named Dame Pauline Green was on the program, she was the president of the International Cooperative Alliance, um, I think she served her eight years, and now she's no longer the president. But she said cooperatives brings people out of poverty with dignity. Mm-hmm. And I really like that because all of the things you are talking about earlier, that people have a say, they get financial wealth, they also get social wealth, they get political wealth, they understand how different parts of the government work. So it, it helps a whole community. And if, if a community doesn't have a problem, a dis-ease, then there's no need for a co-op. Mm-hmm. So that's what I've learned on this program, and it's exciting to hear your your life story and your life goals. Wow. Okay, so now I want to change it a little bit to you've got a housing co-op that's working. You set your, your rents, co-op fee, whatever you want to call it. You have bylaws that you manage by a seven-unit uh, board of seven member board of directors. Now it's it's functioning, it's working, it's going, and you keep getting educated. So you mentioned earlier the, about unemployment. So tell me what that what road you're walking down to solve that disease, that community problem of lack of employment, of lack of you called it something else. Um, dignified. Dignified work. Yes. Mm-hmm. What are you doing there? Yeah. Well. Um- you know, once you once housing is taken care of and you don't have to worry about dealing with, with those kinds of challenges, you start to look around and you see what other needs are there in my life. And I think that's the beautiful thing of organizing and coming together as a community is you, you, you're you aware of the other forces in your life and kind of how those things come together. So um, for the women here, um, they, you know, a lot of them work two or three jobs in the service sector. And it's it's really difficult to raise a family because you can't just have one job anymore. You need at least two or three jobs to support your family. And if you don't have a lot of education, if your English isn't that great, you're going to put up with, with, you know, work that doesn't really treat you fairly. They might not give you six days. And they might consider you that you're not so valuable because you don't have those extra skills, you know, the degrees and all of that. And so for the women that I met, and this is women I've met in the community and, and also in my building, um, but they wanted to have a job where they would actually have a say over things, just like they have a say here in the co-op. That was very important to them, and so they sought that opportunity out. Have you read the book, Cities Building Wealth? I haven't. Okay. Uh, um, I'm writing it down. Okay. Cities Building Wealth is the name. It's a pamphlet, and Democracy Collaborative wrote it. 
And they speak of a lady by the name of Christina in the book. Christina is Mexican immigrant. She was making $7 an hour cleaning houses, maid service, if you will, in the service industry that you were talking about. They formed a co-op, and her salary, her hourly wage went from $7 an hour to $20 an hour. Mm. Yes. Now, when I've talked about this to folks, in, in it, it was a worker cooperative. And let me real quickly say to people that are listening, a cooperative is depends on the type of cooperative depends on who owns and controls it, the business. If the employees own and control the business, it's called a worker cooperative. So Christina in New York was in a worker cooperative. The employees owned it. Uh, the other type is consumer cooperatives, and that is the consumers, the people that uses the products or services own and control the business. Housing co-op is an example. Uh, credit unions are an example. Food co-ops could be a consumer cooperative, or it could be a employee, a worker cooperative. And there's, there's one consumer cooperative in Washington State, I think in Seattle, that's a hybrid. It's both. The, the consumers own it and the employees own it. And then there's a couple other type of the four major types of co-ops, and a lot of farmers and artists are using these two types, is if it's a purchasing cooperative. People come together to buy goods or services, and they normally get the knowledge about, they have an organization that gets the knowledge about these products or services and these vendors, and they buy in bulk so they get a better product at a lower price normally. And the farmers have been using this model for ages, and now artists are beginning to use it. And sometimes they buy equipment and share the equipment, or artists are buying warehouses so they'll have space to do their to, to do what they need to do. And some musicians, uh, because the the income is so erratic, Sylvia, that they are looking at ways of how to you know spread out the income so that they can they know that they can eat and have housing all year round. Stabilize yeah, That's and then the other side of it is a marketing cooperative, and the marketing cooperative are the ones that come together and market the products, and artists and farmers are doing that, and uh, organizations like Cabot uh, Creamery or Cabot Cheese, oh, I'm losing names right now, but there's a lot of different companies, and I, and I was getting ready to think about farm companies that will market the products. In the district right now, we have REI, which is a consumer cooperative and they sell recreational equipment <laughs> is what they sell and it's a new building they've been around since 1938 and we have a new uh, cpa uh community purchasing alliance that i've been trying to get well, you had them on your show right Did yes you get them on their show recently okay. they've, they've yeah. been on a couple times but i've been trying to get housing co-ops to join them and buy from them normally with with management companies i've found that the housing co-ops unlike churches and charter schools, have decent contracts with getting uh, utilities or trash or different vendors. Uh, but that some of the churches were getting ripped off, paying double of what I would say they should have been paying or they're paying now. So they've gotten great, great savings by, by joining these co-ops. So these are the different types. So now you're looking at creating worker-owned cooperatives to, to handle this unemployment problem you're talking about? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and to have, like, income stability, to have sick days, to have a, a good, stable salary, to actually have own a, 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 your own business. Like, all of those things come with just being part of a worker-owned cooperative. So have you started one yet, or are you doing the research? I know. We actually started um, started doing the organizing work back in late 2015. 
and uh, we now have a group of 15, I'm sorry, 10 women that are part of the co-op. And um, the name of the co-op is called uh, Co-Familia, Co-Family, Child Development Center. Again, it's a cooperative. And um, we're actually in the process of setting up our bylaws right now. We're collaborating with various organizations that are providing support, like, um, for example, 1DC. Um, We also got some funding from a foundation to, to do the organizing work. And we did a learning journey earlier this summer, actually. Because um, I wanted the, the women um, for the child care cooperative, I wanted them to understand the different types of co-ops. And so we took a learning journey to Philadelphia this summer, and they met with um, one of the oldest healthcare cooperatives in the country. And that we also met, went to consumer co-ops and farming co-ops, and it kind of really opened up the world for them in terms of what's possible. And they were able to ask questions about some of the things that we're looking at in terms of organizing, like how many members do you need to start? How did you get started? What challenges did you face? And what was it like to do this for you? And all of that kind of world. So I know I just told you a lot, though. So I go over it slowly, I know. I couldn't get right. I'm taking notes, but I couldn't get them all down. <laughs> One. Yeah. So you can ask a lot of questions. Now, you know there's a, um, a child care co-op here in Greenbelt. I've heard of it, yes. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, I've tried to get them on the show, and they said they're too busy. And I it's think, the same thing. That, yeah. yeah, the same. There's one on Capitol Hill. And I, I, I visited, visited them, and there was a father who was working there. And uh, it was kind of nice talking to them. And I really wanted to get child co-ops because that seems to be, once you have housing, one of the, the stops people from working is child care, and affordable particularly, mm-hmm. child care. And a co-op can bring that good child care because the parents are in there working and volunteering if it's a, if it's a consumer own that the that the parents own it. We gotta take our last break and we're gonna come back and talk more about child care and, and others. Yeah, the time goes by. I'm really enjoying this. Please everybody out there if you have a question, call in at one eight hundred four five zero seven eight seven six and we'll be right back. Washington, D.C.'s News Talk, 1450 AM, WOL, 95.9 FM. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. The program is Everything Cooperative, and we're having a wonderful conversation with Sylvia Sal-Lazar. Sylvia, um, talk to me about this uh this co-op, how's it working? You've got 10 members mm-hmm. for a child development center. How's it going? Um, it's, it's been going well. I think um, we're just, before the break, I think we were talking about um, some of the milestones that we've reached. And also what, you know, part of, it, it isn't just about establishing the organization, you know, getting your bylaws and kind of doing all those governance things. It actually also has to do with, um, supporting um, the women through the process of changing how they see themselves in their relationship to work and um, mm. seeing themselves as owners instead of workers and, and all of that. So it's been a it's been an effort on both ends to do both. And I, as an organizer, I, I try to maintain those at the same level because if one gets ahead of the other, then they don't connect very well. And so um, we're taking our time in doing that. 
Well, we were talking about attitudes going from a tenant to an owner. And it's the same kind of attitudinal change going from an employee, a worker, Mm -hmm. somebody working for somebody, to an owner of a company. And um, we've had several worker cooperatives here talking about you have to do your work and you have to manage it. So there's some dynamics that happen. One guy said uh, uh, he was a chair of the board of the – he's a worker. He's a chair of the board, and they had a president or chief executive officer – so sometimes he would be in a meeting and he would be taking orders, if you will, from the chief executive officer. And some other times he'd be in another meeting as the chairman of the board, the chief executive officer would be taking orders from him. <laughs> so I found that very fascinating. Now, how is that going with how they see themselves as worker versus employee? Well, I think the experience of, of starting to decide some aspects of the business in terms of what will the name be? How did they decide the name? Well, Deciding the name took a long time because it, it was a collaborative process where everybody chimed in. And first they came up with names and they talked about what the names meant. And then they took a vote and picked one. So, you know, these things take time. But I, I try to engage folks in processes that allow them to kind of start to change how they see themselves in a given situation. And in this case, it's employment. So there's been that aspect of it. And I think going to Philadelphia this summer and they have a really robust amount of co-ops there. And so um, the women got to meet the actual members of the co-op, like Child Space, which is, um, this has been around since the 1980s. And um, they're doing well and very stable. And so they got to meet them. But then we went to a consumer co-op. We met members there. And so one of the th- themes that we saw across them was that co-ops come together to address a community problem, whether it's, you know, or a disease like you were talking about. You're looking at how to address it in different ways, and just the one way we do it is by people coming together. And in our case, it was it was the child care cooperative. Okay, you have two jobs, <laughs> maybe more. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't count. I just so, do so you're a community organizer, and you're organizing your community to form co-ops to solve community problems or community diseases. You also are in a NIH doing research. So the question I want to ask you is, do you like what you do? Yes, yes, absolutely. Take and, both of yeah. those, the NIH and the community organizing. Which, what do you like about the NIH job and what do you like about the community organizing job? For the NIH job, me as a brain tumor survivor and going through that experience, you know, we, we go through some traumatic thing in our lives and we, we can hold on to it and kind of like stay there. Um, my career at the NIH gives me an opportunity to translate, translate that experience into the research I do and to give a voice to people who are affected by cancer. Uh, you know, what's it like to be in the ICU when your mouth is all, you know, dried up and you can't even talk? Like, what does that feel like? And what's it like for, for your caregivers and your family? Like, all of that experience I get to channel into my research. And I consider that a blessing. And, and each time I get to work, uh, in particular with patients and survivors, or caregivers, I consider that a blessing because I'm, I'm giving them a voice and I'm acknowledging their experience. And I get to make it come alive and, and share it with my colleagues and, you know, publish papers about it and just really get the, the word out in terms of what that's like for people. And for me, it's, it's just a blessing that I, that I actually get to do that and um, to listen to people. And to, you know, I didn't have cancer. I can't say that I did. Um, but I understand the fear of, 
it might come back, you know, for, I still deal with that fear of mm -hmm. my brain tumor coming back. And, you know, for people with cancer, if they're in remission for a period, there's a five-year milestone. That's like the big one, right? Mm -hmm. Different kinds of cancer, like breast cancer. So I relate to a lot of their experience, and it's just such a blessing for me. And it gives me a sense of purpose in life to channel that experience into something that gives people a voice. So that's, that's my NIH career, which, which I really love. Mm -hmm. And... Um, and so community organizing? The community organizing for me, um, you know, when you work in government, you're at such a high level. You don't really get to see, you know, you published a study or you did some research and here you go. You really don't get to see how that touched people's lives. And I'm sure it does. You know, the, my research I know has impacted people across the country and, and all of that. But to actually see, like, what community organizing gives me is the opportunity to connect with people, to see their perspective and to create solutions for an issue that they're having and empowering them with the ability to say, yes, I want to fix it in this particular way. And for me, that experience is also a blessing because I get to see, like, actual, like, change in community. Um, and, you know, that's, not, that's something to be cherished because it doesn't happen all the time. So it's something I really value and, and um, I love to do. I love both my, my, my quote-unquote jobs, um, so to speak. It's, it really inspires me to, to keep on going, and it gives me that energy. And it's, I don't consider it a job. It's kind of like part of who I am and what I do. Yes. Now, you you also inspire me. So I love what you do and how you how you enunciate it, how you explain it. I'm almost at a loss of words. Yeah. So to take this opportunity, since um, you know we're both on, on the radio right now, is one of the needs that the, the Co-Familia Child Care Cooperative um, that we're looking for is a space to house the cooperative uh, in Northwest D.C. You know, the women, um, some of them have at least 15 years of licensing in, in child care. Uh, others are just starting out, but we need a space for them to work out of, like a, an established location. So that's, that's really what we're looking for. And I'm, I'm sorry to be so opportunistic, but... Um, oh, I come on. No. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Please keep going. I had to pull out what was the name and how you get a hold to. Uh, I had to get that out of you for LEDC. So, yes, I was going to come back to that. So go ahead, please. Yeah. Yeah. So um, so the women, you know, what we need now is a place to house the cooperative. You know, it could be a, a church space. It could be a business space. Um, I know a lot of businesses now have um, on, on site child care. And uh, so we're looking for those opportunities. And again, I'm not a member of the child care cooperative. I'm, I'm just one of the organizers, and I'm supporting the efforts to the best of my ability. So There's no space in the in the uh, 83 unit housing co-op. Yeah, we do. We have vacancies. We have about right now about eight vacancies okay. for folks who want to move in, and you have to be income qualified to move in, not just anybody, um, because we want to make sure this housing remains affordable for people who make a certain amount of money who don't make too much money, but it has to be folks who really uh, can't afford anything more. But my question is, could one of those apartments be turned into the Child Care Development Center? Um, that would be, that would cost a lot of money. We've actually looked into that. It would cost about $2 million. And um, it would take about the rehab work and to build it out and everything. It would take about three years. And the need is now. The need is um, set it up now and provide these jobs now. And, you know, while that could be a long-term project, this is a current need that the women have. They need a stable job now. 
So um, we have to address, and this is what they shared with us, is that they want to they want a good, stable job now. They don't want to wait two, three years down the line. So much, that's why we proposing this. How much space do you need? you know any square feet? I think, gosh, um, I'm not really too familiar with, okay. with space um, areas. We're actually looking at that right now because okay. there has to be a certain ratio yep. for so many kids, yep. you know, a child to adult ratio and all of that. So we're, we're looking at that. But we're looking at maybe a basement of a church or, um, uh, you know, half a floor on in, in a given given building or something like that. But, uh, again, we're starting that, that process just now. Right. Sylvia, we only have a, another minute and a half or so. And let me tell you a couple of things because I'd like to talk with you and work with you later. Uh, Oaks Management, Inc. is looking to become a, a worker cooperative. And we are looking at ways of lowering the cost of of management. And the only way that we've seen to do that is something called shared management where we would work with the housing cooperative and that maybe they would pay the bills. And with technology that would feed into, we'd set it up so it would feed right into the system so we could do reports. But there may be ways of somebody paying the bills, which would lower what we would have to do or this co-op would have to do is some ways that maybe help with the maintenance. Um, the main thing I've found that the, that people don't want to do is collect money or from people because that's what they're doing against, with their neighbors or against their neighbors and may perhaps even putting them out. So we would do that. So it's looking for ways of how to share this, this, this process of this work so that, um, and not be, uh, profit-driven in, in the management company in a, in a way that, that lowers the, the cost and give good management. So I'd like to talk to you about that later. And Great. Uh, I, our minute and a half is up. Thank you so very much. Right, thank this you so much, great. Brandon. It's been great talking to you. All right. We'll keep talking. Everybody else, have a great cooperative week. Washington, D.C.'s News Talk, 1450 AM, WOS, and 95.9 FM.